This podcast is a production of WCWP, LIU Post Public Radio. Check out our lineup of original programs, listen live, or support by visiting WCWP.org. Welcome to Backstage at Tilla Center. I'm Sherry Linker, Director of Communications. And today, I'm so excited to be here with Bill Biddle, our Executive Director, and we're talking about the new season, our 2018-19 season, which goes on sale this Friday, July 13th. Thanks for joining us, Bill. Uh, Thank you, Sherry. Yeah, we're really excited to get this season on sale. Uh, This is the first full season that really has the direction that we're heading at Tilla Center, where you really should look at our schedule and everybody should really feel like there's something for everybody there that, you know, there's something that I want to see this week and I may be something, you know, six weeks down the road I want to see and or something I want to bring my friends to or bring my kids to or my parents or that kind of thing. It really, I think, is an exciting season because it is really very eclectic and diverse. And it's going in the direction where we're casting that wider net. I think last time I was here with you, we talked a little bit bit about for a performing arts center to be sustainable in this day and age, you not only have to be a business, but you have to be an art as well. Those two have to coexist if you're going to be sustainable in the long term, because especially at at university-based performing arts centers, uh, that that level of subsidy is no longer there at any university in the country with all of the talk nowadays of student tuition and student loans and and the debt load that students are carrying coming out of, out of college. Any programs that aren't central to the academic core of the university really have got to be as close to self-supporting as possible because when it's being subsidized, it's coming out of student tuition dollars when you really so get important. down to it. And it really is, especially you know, with you having three kids in college and me having another one going off to a very expensive school here in a couple of weeks, and I just got my tuition bill yesterday. So um, you know, I'm, I've been very aware of that, and that's why we, we do things slightly different than what we have in the past, that we look at you know, we do a, a full business performa before we do a show so that we see how it, how it works financially as well as how it works artistically. Because as uh, when I was here last time with you, we talked about how you curate a season. And that really is part of it. You know, we're not always looking at a show saying this is something that's going to make money and we're going to do it just because it's making money. We look at some things from an artistic standpoint. What is this doing artistically? That will enhance or elevate the university and the performing arts center and the, the community long- and the community as well. Absolutely. Let me ask you this: Would you say how long does it take to actually curate the season? Does it start eighteen months out, or would you say it's within this past year? Yeah. Well, it depends on the type of genre that you're looking at. For example, classical music, I have classical music done for the next two years, at least the big orchestra series, which we've continued uh, for many years. And we will always continue that series, maybe not quite at the size that it is. But that usually is done about two years in advance. And actually, I think I have something for the 21-22 season already, especially orchestra tours are, are planned much further out. Uh, dance performances, typically 12 to 18 months. Uh, rock and roll, 
country, jazz, those things tend to be anywhere from three months to nine months out. Sometimes you're lucky if you can do a show for a year. I know we were trying to, in that diversity of performances, we were trying to bring in Emmy Lou Harris for next spring. It's it's going to happen, but won't confirm it 14 months out. You know, right. that'll be like a nine month out confirm as thing happened. The, the bigger the name, the shorter the booking window is. Uh, for example, we have Diana Ross for our gala this year, which I'm really excited about. Um, and Diana Ross, we booked in May for an early October. And that was about the time that they would deal with it. They wouldn't deal with it any sooner than that. And why is that? Just simply a lot of artists, or? yeah, they're, they're in heavy demand. A lot of artists just don't know if they want to work. And I don't, I don't know what motivates, you know, an A-list artist to decide I'm going to work this week. I mean, it must be nice to decide, yeah, I'd like to make $100,000, you know, for, you know, 30 nights. And I do that, you know, every, all performers. I'd like to do that. No kidding. So would I, I think all performers motivations are different. Some, it, it ties around to when they have new creative projects coming out. Um, and it used to be that they would do the album and then tour. And now they tour and then do the album. So that tour is actually the album supporting the tour instead of the other way around. Sure. It really, it really has been a little bit of a difference there. But like I say, the, the bigger the name, and the more contemporary the name, the shorter the booking window is. And and that's why you see how we've evolved at Tillis. You used to get a brochure in like May or June, and that would be everything that you had for the season. And then maybe something else would come up. Where we're at now, um, I think this year we, we put a couple things a month new on sale that would happen uh, further down the road. Usually a bigger name or something a little bit more popular, something like So You Think You Can Dance, or was that that was the one I think we had, So You Think You Can Dance. Um, Blondie we put on sale a little bit later. Uh, Chris Angel we put on sale after the first of the year. Some things we, we have booked already that we just are holding back until later in the year. And some of that is, especially with the their you tour know, the, schedule. Yeah, and, and the classic like rock. And they may be playing somewhere else in the market that we can't advertise. And sometimes if we have things that are close to it, as far as performance style, a similar band, we would hold that until closer to the date as well. So, okay, you mentioned Emmy Lou Harris. You mentioned Diana Ross. Let's just talk, of, and those are obviously in a rock pop genre, um, which I do want to get back to because that seems to be a little bit of the differential from years past. But let's talk a little bit about some of the other series that we have. Um, Broadway, for example, what can uh, our ticket buyers look for and And I expect? like when you said Broadway, you used your jazz hands when you said it. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Broadway series really has become popular for us. Uh, my predecessor, Elliot Soroka, started doing Broadway a number of years ago, and it did well. And we're continuing to do well, especially now that we're getting more recent titles. Uh, we have Something Rotten and uh, Finding Neverland, both Tony-nominated shows that have just recently performed on Broadway and are only still in some of their original national tours. And and I think partially that's because my, my background has been in Broadway. I mean, I've been a member of the Broadway League, which was originally the League of American Theaters and Producers for about 20 years now. And, you know, so I've got deep, deep contacts there. And as we've seen some of the people that you're interviewing on the podcast, there's some of those contacts that I've had through the year. But 
One thing that we're doing at Tillis with expanding our Broadway is we're having to make facility changes and we're having to make changes in how our technology is happening. And um, we have what we call the Tillis trifecta. To really do Broadway effectively, we needed three things. We needed a larger stage door where we could get scenery in. We needed a deeper stage from front to back, and we also need more height in the theater. Uh, this summer, we're taking care of the first part, the, the actual easiest part, the uh, stage door. We're widening that to 10 by 10 this summer and also renovating dressing rooms and, and that kind of thing. Because as you get a higher level artist, you need to have higher level amenities available backstage. And of course, the audience wouldn't know No, they any don't know of those kind of things. But the they... only thing they see is what the final product is because all of a sudden – when you have all the scenery from a show and not a cut down version of it, you know, I, and, and, and our production manager, uh, Tom Pastorella really is great at figuring how to get these shows in here, even telling the production managers of the touring shows how to do it. And they say, Oh, we can. And he says, no, you can. And here's how you can do it because we don't have solutions. Or yeah, it really is. And, it, and it's finding the ways. I mean, we had this year, I think we got 80 to 85% of the Broadway shows into our house and and that doesn't happen easily. I mean, you know, I hear this story about several years ago when they did a production of Annie, and it was like Annie in concert. I mean, they had a staircase, and that was about it. And that really becomes important because the, the thing with modern Broadway is that the whole spectacle side, the scenery, costumes, lighting has become so much a part of the process. It's integral to what's happening with the show that audiences on the road, which is what they call the non, you know, Broadway theater district houses, the, the audiences on the road expect to have that same level of spectacle that they, that they would see on Broadway or even now that they would see on the taped versions around the holidays, like the Christmas story that was done last year and Hairspray and, and Jesus Christ Superstar, although that was more concert version, it was still fully staged with, you know, a full set and, and that kind of thing. So we're working to try to make those changes. The next two parts we'll be exploring um, with an architect over the next couple of years. But, you know, again, that's not something that we're going to fund through university funds. We'll have to raise money to do that. Which, of course, I don't know if a lot of the listeners realize we are a nonprofit. So your generous don donations are always <laughs> welcome. Yeah, that's right. Even that, even that rounding up your ticket price really does help in the long term because really – only 54% of our operating budget comes from ticket sales, and we have to find those other ways to make that budget, whether it's through donations, through building, building rentals, or concessions, which is one of the reasons why we've expanded our concession areas and, and making that whole event experience. That is something that, that really ties into the season. You know, when we have um, a performer, a new performer, we end up having complimentary entertainment in the lobby as well. And that really is something we're trying to get people here earlier, you know, so they sit around. They also, what it also does for us is it helps to alleviate the traffic coming in in that last 15 minutes of the show. And we're finding people are coming earlier and, you know, sitting down and listening to the group. Making that it kind of all, yeah. all about the evening. Yeah. Now, um, so, what about the Great Music Series? Great okay. Music Series. Uh, we still have uh, four major orchestras in that series. And we're one of the last of the presenters in the U.S. that's doing that full orchestra series. You'll see places like the University of Michigan with the University Musical Society that will still present several orchestras during the year. 
but there aren't a whole lot of universities. University of Chapel Hill, perhaps, uh, where I was at in Virginia uh, prior to coming here, we presented a lot of orchestras. Um, but you know, what do we have coming up this we year? We have this year. I knew you were going to ask me that question because I'm thinking <laughs> about the following year. The one that I'm really Marinsky. most excited is the Marinsky Orchestra, which formerly was the Kirov Orchestra of the Marinsky Theater. And they are one of the top orchestras in the world. And, and we had that rare opportunity to be able to present them, which is really one of my goals in that series, is I want to work through that top list of international orchestras. You know, we want to have the Berlin Philharmonica at some point. We want to have the the Royal Concert Bow. We want to have the London Symphony. And 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 getting the Marinsky on that list was a good opportunity this year. Of course, I booked that, I think, the first week I was here when I started in January of 2016. Going back to yep. how far it takes yep, it to takes book. that long there. And so and we ended up, because of the cost, orchestras are the most, well, some headliners are as expensive, but orchestras, as a rule, are the most expensive performance that we present and one that you know typically orchestras traveling orchestras sell between 800 and 1200 tickets and that's not just at Tilla center that's around the country so you know we do have you know heavy financial losses on that but that's where you balance the art and the business side of what we do because really the the art side we're presenting that mission related that you know we want to present great artists and and the, the mantra that i've used for since I've been here and I've actually used this through my career that, that we present world-class performances and understanding world-class means different things to different people. For some folks, it's the New York Philharmonic. For some, it may be Larry, the cable guy. And, and we can't make that value judgment on that, but we have to meet people where they're at. And if they're coming to see Larry, the cable guy, maybe they'll check out, you know, jazz at Lincoln center, or if they're coming to see the New York Phil, maybe they'll stop in and see a classic rock show. So, well, you know, what's interesting since I've been here in the 18 months I've been here, what I've noticed is even on social media, people are commenting, you know what, this is 20 minutes from my house. I think I'm going to go. Whereas in the past, Tilla center may not have been on their radar now that it is. Yeah. And I think, I think that's right for to, to not only to be sustainable financially, is important, but I think also to be aware of your community and being having that awareness in your community where people, you know, they may not always want to buy a show this week, but we want to be top of mind when they think about wanting to come to a show. We're one of the first things they, they think of. We're not going to stop someone from going into the city to see a Broadway show because for most people, that's a special event. You know, you go in once, twice, a couple times a year. As a family, you Absolutely. have dinner, that kind of thing. And we're not trying to compete with that. You know, we just want – there's a lot of Broadway that, that you just can't see. I mean, you know, I'm an avid Broadway fan and my, my wife and my, my boys are also avid Broadway fans. And we see as many things as we can. But my youngest son, who will be majoring in uh, musical theater this fall at, at Carnegie Mellon, he just said to me the other day, he said, Dad, you know – there's 12 things we didn't see this year that we should have seen. And I said, on what days would we have done it? And what other job would I have had to have to be able to f afford that? So I think that's, you know, that's important that we're not trying to replace the Hamiltons or the Dear Evan Hansons of the world, although one day, probably 10 or 20 years from now, we'll have it. But uh, we want to be that alternative where folks can go and know that they're going to have a professional quality 
performance or production right in their own backyard. Now, what are you super excited about for the season? You know, Pers- from a personal personally, actually, the Marinsky Orchestra. My my tastes are so diverse. If you would look at my iPhone and look at my my music playlist, you would say, "What is this? Are you schizophrenic?" Because it really it's all over. I'm excited for some of the the classic rock that we're getting into. That's the era that I grew up in. And that really, Toto, Toto uh, you know, Pat Benatar and Neil Gerardo, um, Foreigner, those kind of things. Um, I'm really excited about Tower of Power and Average White Band. I mean, Tower of Power has the the best horn section in the industry and have been the So side. amazing. Oh, absolutely amazing. And it's the only show, you know, when we measure sound volume levels in an auditorium to make sure because everybody always complains it's too loud that kind of thing that's the only show that that i ever measured where it was louder in between songs and that was with a whole you know 10-piece horn section on stage that kind of thing where the fans are that interactive and that kind of thing you know i think it really those kind of things really get people going the other thing i'm really excited about in our dance series is the um, uh, dorance dance company Uh, michelle dorance is the Dance Magazine listed her as the most influential person in dance. And the type of dance that she does, that sort of tap, urban Contemporary. Dance. Yeah, contemporary. It really, it's striking to a younger audience. I mean, we have to find ways to meet younger audiences. Um, hopefully, we're going to be doing a, a, a DJ show around our homecoming here at LIU Post. And But finding those things that maybe from an artistic standpoint that will excite younger folks. You know, when we had the uh, Shaping Sound a couple of years ago, So You Think You Can Dance, we also have uh, Diablo coming up, which is architectural dance. They were on America's Got yeah, Talent. On America's Got Talent. You know, those kind of things. You know, there, would been, there was a point in my career where I wouldn't have done those things that have been on TV, that kind of thing. But what what we find is, you know, we can have that that sort of snooty attitude about some of that kind of thing. But the bottom line is we have to get people into the theater and we're not going to grow our community unless they're coming in. And you have to reach people with that point of entry. You have to find some hook to get them in there. Well said. Yeah. So we have a couple minutes left. Fun backstage story you can share. Uh, I I knew you were going to ask that. and, And I was trying to think of something. The funniest thing I can think of today and and actually what made me think about it is I just saw something on, on one of the TV stations that passed by. George Jones, the classic country singer that was married to uh, Tammy Wynette. And he had a reputation of drinking heavily and also no. not showing up for shows. He would cancel. So he earned the nickname No Show Jones. <laughs> and I booked George Jones. I presented George Jones one time in my career Great show, by the way. Great show. And all of a sudden, we're it's 8 o'clock, time for the show to start. We're here. All of a sudden, 8.05, 8.10, 8.15. And I sent someone out to the, to the tour bus to see what was going on because I knew No Show Jones had shown up. And he was watching a football game that was in double overtime on a Sunday night. Uh, of and course. wouldn't leave the bus until then. And all of a sudden, he came into the theater about 30 to 40 minutes late. And he had a new young production manager, and there were flashing lights. This was early flashing lights and smoke and haze and that kind of thing. And he's sitting there, and the lights are going on, and he's looking around. All of a sudden, he says, stop. Wait a minute. What's going on here? You know, I ain't no Garth Brooks. What are these lights? What is this smoke? Just let me play some music. And he made him turn it all off. So that was That fun. sounds like a country song, yeah, actually. Yeah, it really does. You know, play it backwards and see what you get. 
<laughs> oh, that's, that's great. Well, I know you have a lot more stories to share, but I'm so excited you were able to come on and talk a little bit preview of the season. Again, tickets on sale this Friday, July 13th. And um, thanks for joining us, Bill. That's right. And hopefully people will live it, love it, and share it at Tickle Center. Listen, um, we really appreciate all that you're doing. You've been listening to Backstage at Tillis Center on the campus of LIU Post in Brookville, Long Island. Like what you hear? Here's how you can let us know. Give us a call at 516-299-2626 or email us at info at wcwp.org. Like us at facebook.com slash mywcwp and leave a comment or tweet us at mywcwp. We welcome all kinds of feedback. To directly support the podcast you just enjoyed, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to give back, visit wcwp.org and click the support tab. Thanks for listening from your friends at WCWP.